welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. For more info on my guitars, please visit LiggettGuitars.com. Every week I interview someone that's passionate about their craft. Today I'm talking to Will Skarstad, a Luthier from New York. Will builds and repairs violins and is frontman of the black metal band Yellow Eyes. We talk violins, guitars, black metal, and the creative process. All links and reference images can be found in the episode description. If you like the podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash luthier's tale. Let's get into it. So good to have you here. Uh, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, man. Yeah, since we hung out last time, uh, it was good to have you in Tulsa. Sure was. It was good to be there. Yeah, I'm still. Yeah. I still think about it all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys gotta uh, move down one of these days and start your homestead, your your family compound, right? It's very, it's very, very tempting. It's very tempting. Although I did see it on your Instagram, um, and people can follow. What's your Instagram for people if they want to? Oh, I think it's just my name, Will Scarstead. S K A R S T A D. Yeah, uh, when I saw your um, on your Instagram, one of your violins uh, was drying outside. Is that your backyard? That's my backyard. Yeah, it's like this big, just uh, kind of a big rock wall that uh, gives us like kind of total privacy. Even though we live in live in town, twenty minute walk to like Main Street, but yeah, there's like that's why I can build a loud rehearsal space here and yeah. do a yeah. lot of things. No, nobody can bother us. Nobody can see us. It's pretty nice it looked kind of magical man it looked like you're on the cool. steps of like some uh some like uh, uh italian vineyard or <laughs> yeah, some shit. yeah the, you know i framed it right it's uh you know it's, <laughs> you zoom out a little bit and you can you can see that you know through the trees on a winter day i can see an auto zone so we're not we're not totally uh <laughs> you know we'll, we'll keep keep the illusion uh, yeah exactly we all do you know anything we post is uh it's always um, the very best part of our lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see you playing the guitar in your house through a you know big glass window. With, did, did you say you have chickens or something? You, you know, I, I had chickens until very recently. I had uh, 22 chickens. And, uh, That's a lot of chickens. <laughs> it was a lot of chickens. And then uh, they slowly got picked off by hawks. And then when I had oh, about 13 left, which, you know, magic lucky 13, the rest of them got wiped out by coyotes. So. Oh, man, what? yeah yeah <laughs> a, a neighbor just, of ours has uh has chickens one of them just got killed by a hawk so i this is a new a new problem that i didn't think about before i'm a certified hillbilly <laughs> well as a as a new yorker that's what we think about all you oklahomans yeah well it's you're, <laughs> like it's accurate you know how to yeah <laughs> up here i didn't know we had these problems until my neighbor told me about their uh their chickens going missing i tell you what well uh, enough about uh farm animals <laughs> yeah. let me ask yeah. you about violins man all right now well i guess before we get to violins people should know that you are the guitarist and vocalist correct of, correct of a black metal band called yellow eyes yeah yeah that's usually what i do i've never done a violin related interview before but i've done many many for for the band well this won't be specifically um, violins but just kind of everything yeah cool we, cool. We want to know about you. Okay. 
Okay, I hope I'm. Uh, yeah. So how did you get into black metal? You know, did you start out as an, an angsty teen playing guitar like most of us? Yeah, I guess so. I I mean, you know, had a had a you know fairly, you know, solid family life upbringing. All good. Can't complain about any of that. I don't know what you know what what made me angsty, except for you know maybe it's just nurture rather than nature. I don't know, but um, yeah, sh- sharing a bedroom with my brother who you know couldn't believe that i liked that kind of music um and he was listening to like you know indie music and i couldn't believe he liked that kind of music for the record he's now the guitarist in in the in this metal band so (laughs) so i i had some victory there yeah no kidding um and yeah there's something about it that i can say like immediately struck me i was like yeah okay this is for me this is definitely for me and um so what was was like what were some early bands you were into that really like set you off Oh well, this is like you know. I feel I'm I'm older now, so I this is like the the LimeWire days where you're just like the early like ripping things off the internet. You yeah. don't really know what it what it is. So I was just getting like just whatever was coming my way. But when I was 18, I moved to Norway, where I have you know some roots, distant roots, not really, you know, not really family anymore. But um, it turns out black metal was just it, it was coming from Norway. So I I I think that was part of the appeal. Um, that was kind of like the, you know, the, the infamous, you know, source of, of this type of music. So I were you listening there. to, you were listening to bands from there and then is that why you. Yeah. Well, my, my taste, my taste was kind of like all over the place, but black metal in, in, in particular was coming out of Norway that, you know, the, 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 the most, that's like kind of the most well-known connection, Norway and black metal. Right. Um, so when I moved there, I kind of honed in just on the black metal bands like, you know, Dark Throne, um, you know, well-known you know, mayhem, all these kind of, they're, they're, I mean, these are all underground bands, but they're well known in the, in the black metal world. Um, So your dad's a violin maker. Tell me about growing up in the shop. What was that like? Well, yeah. So ever since I was born, I mean, he's been doing it since before I was alive, there was a violin shop in the house. So earliest memories are customers coming to the house and there's always one room filled with wood shavings and smelled like hide glue and you know it, it was just it, it seemed completely normal to me i i think i remember early on kind of being you know feeling some pride in second grade or whatever you know parents coming in to talk about their jobs or something just thinking you know it's pretty cool that my dad does not do what everybody else's parent does but aside yeah. from that it, it was normal felt normal um and did I you think, did you learn anything as a youngster? No, around that? no. I could say no, no. <laughs> um, the only thing that we learned, we, we were kind of you know encouraged uh, to take violin lessons, and by that I mean that I think we were forced into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I you know I did that for probably six or seven years, if I if I remember right, and uh, you know quit at some point, and and I'm glad I did it. I don't think it was ever like this huge drag, but I, I was never that into it um i do remember that um did uh so the world of violin making it is very um it's it's hard for me to tell what people are doing because it seems like the differences between styles of violin uh, and, and the other uh, uh concert instruments for that matter the differences stylistically are very very subtle yeah yeah exactly and and it's really uh, it, so for people that don't know uh, in Tulsa we had this uh, 
art gallery show of luthier made instruments and uh will had one of his violins in there and uh so like on your violin um i noticed the back had like a really unique set of wood was it a one piece back one piece back yeah and and it wasn't uh your traditional like fiddle back flame maple yeah so that that's my little mini way of rebelling (laughs) it's like i i it's this interesting thing to me um you know kind of tying back to the music thing when we started um working on uh black metal i always thought like let's just be a very straight straight ahead band you know whatever just just let's just make black metal it always sounded different it was i it, I, it took a long time for me to realize that's in in me i i'm always like pushing back against whatever the standard thing is and that sa- same goes for violin making but there there's a you know much more rigid set of rules you have to follow you know it, it has to look like a violin you can't paint it, you know, blue or else you're, you're all, you know, th- then you're not making a serious instrument if, if you were to do that, I, I guess. Um, yeah. The, the community would not perceive it as such. Yeah. And I, you know, at the end of the day, these things take forever to make and, and I do want to sell it. So I, you know, I'm not exactly, I, I don't have like i I'm not trying to make like some kind of avant-garde instrument. You know, I, I right. am trying to make a violin. Um, so yeah, in my, in my subtle way, it's like, I'm going to pick, you know, piece of wood that you might not see on, on any other violin, ideally something like that, because I, you you know, I know I have to follow the measurements more or less, you know, very carefully. Um, Yeah. So tell me about the piece of wood you did use. So it's from Slovakia. I, I, I just think if you're, you know, you know, there are, there are many reasons to, to make a very, you know, beautiful, you can make a very beautiful, you know, violin, that is a copy of a Stradivarius, whatever you can do. You can, you know, all of these things take forever and, and they're incredible works of art if you're making a violin from scratch. But to me, I just think, you know, why not have that back be kind of like the, the canvas of your, of your, you know, of your instrument, just make it something wild to look at. I mean, it, I, there, there may be some, there, there's, to me, I, I know some people like study the sound waves of, you know, it, within the characteristics of the wood and this and that. I, I think it, you know, my own opinion is it's, it's probably more just comes down to like the flexibility of a piece of wood or something like that. Sure. Um, so just as long as that piece of wood generally performs in the same way as any other piece of maple wood, why not go for the craziest piece of, of wood you can find? So, so I've, I've been, you know, Every now and then we get, you know, you you look at the wood catalogs from from wherever in the world, and and I always, if I see something like truly wild, I'll I'll buy it, um, just to just to have for the next one or the next one. Beautiful. Well, I I do like the idea of a one piece back on a violin. You know, it's so yeah. small. Why not? Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly what I think. <laughs> Most of them are two piece, right? Yeah. I, I'd say, yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you see one piece backs pretty often, but, but yeah, I mean, the, I think the standard thing is a, is a two piece back. Yeah. Although, although it is, it is common to see in both ways. Uh, tell me about the finish you put on it. So that's a uh, oil varnish that that's a whole, you know, early on in, in the, in the shop, we were using spirit varnish. Um, I mean, early, early on before I was working there, my dad was using oil varnish, but you can do, you know, 
all different. There, there's a whole world of, of varnishing, which I'm, I'm not fully, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've only waded, you know, waist deep in those waters. It's a whole, it's a whole world, but I knew I wanted to use oil varnish. I think it, it probably ultimately makes it sound better. It takes forever to dry. Um, but I, I just, you know, the leaving it to dry. evaporate quickly. Yeah. You can, you can put on coat after coat. So with this, I would have to put it under a, under a UV light. And, uh, you know, there, there are some, some dryers in the, in the varnish that help it, you know, speed the process along. I was racing the clock to come out to Tulsa, basically oh, yeah. had to fly out with it wrapped in wax paper, just, just because I was like, I don't even know if this is, you know, quite dry enough to, to oh, fly, wow. to put in a case, but, but it was all right. Um, Good deal. yeah, well, I was glad to have it in the show and, and to uh, meet you on opening night. That was <laughs> yeah. fun. It was very fun. I mean, I, who who knew that Tulsa would have such a large place in my heart still to this day? <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, you got to come back out sometime. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the hard thing. Usually the traveling comes through the band. I mean, that's what gets us on, you know, out and about. But, um, but Tulsa is a hard, a hard place just because there aren't too many you know, neighboring cities that, that we can, you know, the, the drives seem long out there. They are long. Yeah. It's all the, the metal bands that, uh, I grew up seeing around here, they would make a stop in Lawrence, Kansas, which is like four hours North. Um, and, and they would maybe stop around Oklahoma city, but it's like a lot of times they just skipped old Tulsa. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we have too much of a draw in Lawrence, Kansas, but uh, no, who knows? I, I'd I be surprised. You'd be surprised. That's a little college town. And... That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, so that 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 was you know I've I've done some traveling with the violin stuff. Usually, it's like transporting a, a you know expensive instrument or something, just kind of flying to an airport and dropping it off. But that was the first time I've done a a, a show like that. It was it's pretty exciting. Got to say, it was really really a cool thing to do yeah, so I, I thank you for for having me hey hey thank you for being a part of it so let me ask you this with the violins uh so when did you start doing repair work oh kind of right away i mean i i think that i you know i don't know if it's I can't say it's like i'm, I'm not I don't, I don't know why i found it easy to get into not not easy but it, you know it's, it's basically like you have to be careful you have to be detail oriented and you right. have to just be willing to spend a long time on a very small thing. Um, that, that came naturally to me. I don't know why that is. I don't know, you know, hesitant to say, you know, I, I got those genetic traits from my father. I don't know why, but, um, but I found it, you know, I, I understood that these things take time. I guess I grew up, you know, understanding the, the value of, of a well-made instrument and understanding how easy it is to, to screw that up <laughs> yeah you know we we would it i mean i sh shouldn't even say but there are plenty of times like violins are on their last legs we have a lot of violins on their last legs as a as a child we would just burn them in the backyard you know <laughs> looking at all these you know hundreds of hours of work just burning away but you know to be fair they were broken beyond repair but right but i i kind of understood what what went into it you know just seeing my dad working all day on on you know small little little just you know a one inch part of a of an instrument you know you can just obsess 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 and and that found, that that came naturally to me i guess so i i repairs i started doing right away to to pay the bill <laughs> the bills in the That's city great. 
Um, well, you know, repair is a real, especially with violins, it's a great, uh, you can travel the world and repair, right? You don't need a huge toolkit, do you? Well, I guess it depends. You know, I, right now I'm, I'm working, I, I live about an hour north of, of where our big shop is. I do a lot of work from, from my house. Um, and I'll soon have a big, you know, bigger studio in the, in the garage and whatever, but for now I don't. Um, and I do find myself getting stopped sometimes by a, a lack of tool, you know, forget one. sometimes you forget one little tool, but other times it's like, yeah, I need a bandsaw. And I didn't anticipate that. Right. Um, well, from my perspective, I'm like, I've got this shop full of crap that I cannot move easily. And I'm like, well, all you guys need is a hand plane, right? <laughs> well, basically, yeah, I have a little, I have like a little, uh, like tool case pouch thing. And, and that basically is all I need most days. So that, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Compared to, compared to what you most have to have in your shop. Do you, do you have a, like a, a CNC router or something like that? I do. I have a, a two foot by three foot bed CNC drum sanders and, and uh, multiple band saws and just like just the idea of moving a shop to like a different location is like <laughs> yeah like it's a months long endeavor yeah everything's settled so I, I would guess if i were making violins from scratch all the time a lot of those tools would the machines would come in in handy but yeah. but yes for, for most of this repair stuff you know you could you could get away with having like a you know a sharpened butter knife a, a hand plane and like <laughs> a couple little thumb planes and you're you're pretty good for most for most things, I guess. Now I I laughed at sharpened butter knife. Or is that actually a thing? It, well, yeah, that's what I used to take the top off of island. It's like this. Uh, oh, to separate it. Yeah, it's heat this, it up. I don't even heat it up. I mean, I guess you you could do that if it was extra stubborn. But usually the the hide glue kind of just pops right off. Um, that's like one of those things. You, you, you don't want to wick any kind of spirit into that. To... No, it'll it'll come it'll come off. I mean. It, it's all kind of it all kind of wants to you know I mean, we glue open sides all the time on instruments that just kind of open up in the in the changing of seasons or whatever um i see but yeah i mean some are more stubborn than others actually i find like the we, we do some rentals some cheap you know cheaper student in instruments and to take the top off those can sometimes be way harder than the than an old instrument just because it's like they're not using the right kind of glue and it's it's all sealed up it's, that could be a real a real hassle but um but yeah no i use yeah, it it's funny I use how a sharp they... butter knife every day <laughs> interesting it, yeah. it's funny how the uh the expensive instruments come apart easier yeah it is <laughs> which, which makes sense from a, a longevity and repair standpoint yeah exactly exactly i mean you know hopefully not too easy but but uh, right but yeah <laughs> Now, so I, this is, forgive me for this ignorant, stupid question, but when I look at someone playing the violin, I look at it from the side and I go, why is that? Why is the action so high? <laughs> yeah. What the hell? What's going on there? Well, as I mean, to, to go all the way back to my ancient violin playing days, I, I'm not sure I can remember what my little fingers felt like. Uh, pushing down those strings as a now guitar player who likes low action. But I, I yeah. do know that there is like, you know, this is just one of those tried and true measurements that, that, you know, must be respected for, uh, you know, there's like a little scoop on the fingerboard as, as I guess there is with, 
the guitar also. Um, why is the action so high? I, I, it's just got to be for playability. I mean, it, there there are buzzes that can happen. The nut is pretty low at the top typically. Mm-hmm. Um, as your as your bow is pressing the string down, is that lowering the action of the string while it's being played? Is that part of it? It, you know, it's probably lowering a little bit. I don't think it's lowering it enough. I think it's just it, it must just be. You know, again, it's it's hard to. It, I, I know I know the, the measurements and how to make a violin feel good so intimately, but as a non-player, it's hard for me to know. You know, I just I know how to make a violin. I, I can look at somebody's violin and just say, you know, this this is not fun to play. You know, this right. is not this is not fun to play, and I can make it fun to play. So um, too low would be not fun to play. Well, that's a yeah. I mean, you would probably get a buzz if it, if it was too low, um, and if it's too high, you're just gonna be pushing down too hard. I, as a guitar player, I like a lower action just to just to be faster. But but yes, there there is a a uh, you know two to a tenth of a millimeter a correct a correct string height that that needs to be respected for even for for the sound to ring out um, you know appropriately. It has to be it has to be a certain way. There there are so many so many little things that must be respected in the uh, you know in this centuries old art yeah yeah so there are there are multiple types of violins but the two main ones are um uh uh, stradivari and uh granary am i saying that right yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean i would think the strat is kind of like yeah right granary there are a lot of these old prominent it's the most well-known yeah i mean a lot of these old italian instruments but but yeah yeah so for the layperson, see, I cannot, I could not tell you the difference between the two. Looking at a violin, what are the things that draws your eye when when you when you just see a uh, another luthier's uh, violin, like a modern violin? Uh-huh. What, what are you looking for? Oh, I would probably look at the scroll. You can see that. I, I th- personally, I think that's where you know a lot of people. Everybody's using a template. The, probably one they make when, when they're making the body um I, I wouldn't necessarily look at that but after making a lot of scrolls i know that that's one of those little places in in the process where where you know you can get a little artistic and things you know it kind of shows your shows what you're made of maybe in a way i think so i you know i i think it's pretty common to check out the scroll the the corners are are another one of the uh you know the, the four corners on the on top the of the back. Yeah. That's another one of these, like it's, it's all so subtle, but, um, but, but there's such a thing as, as a beautiful corner, you know, it's just, sure. it's just beautifully done and kind of the way the purfling sits in there, that, that kind of black, black, white, black line that goes around the edge. Yep. Um, you know, yeah, think, purfling's a big deal in, uh, guitar making too, especially uh-huh. acoustic guitars. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I look at the corners. I look at the corners. I look at the scroll. Um, yeah, yeah, something I, mean, what I noticed with the scroll is um, some of them are like intentionally kind of um, roughly carved. I don't want to say that in a yeah. Uh, it, it it's like uh, you can see that there was a knife making it. I I love it, and I yeah. As I make more instruments, I want to get brave enough to. Uh, to leave that in. I, I saw that most notably on one of the inst- instruments in the, in the show there, this guy, Amos Hargrave, who, 
Oh, we, yeah. we know from way back when he actually went to my parents' wedding, weirdly. Um, but <laughs> as my dad world. always says, yeah, small world, but my dad always says he's probably, you know, the best current violin maker around. And uh, just seeing the way he, he left those knife marks in, I thought that was, you know, very cool. Very cool. You see that, you see that pretty often, but, but I always, I always think, you know, it's kind of a sign of confidence maybe to me i don't know yeah yeah i was just gonna say the same thing because it's like it's bold yeah because you don't want to like leave something unfinished but if it's like skillfully purposefully obviously purpose purposefully unfinished then wow then right cool right you you see that sometimes on even like you know even in the in the back like in the maple sometimes you can see the old like the little tool marks here and there. And I, I think that's very cool. I mean, for I, I'm, I'm still relatively, I've been doing it for 10 years, um, but I'm not, I'm not only making violence as you know. So I'm, I'm still perfecting the, the craft in, in that way, I guess. So uh, let me ask you about sound posts. What is, what in your mind is the function of a sound post and where are they supposed to go? Well, they're supposed to go, kind of like say how to describe it, it the, treble the, side well so, so yeah so so the 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 uh there's like these little notches in the f holes mm-hmm. if you see like kind of in the middle there's two little triangle things that that typically shows where the bridge feet should go just kind of like right. matching that that middle point sound post should go basically one bridge foot width um south of of uh of that so it's the, it's just it's, underneath. It's just underneath. So it's not it's not directly underneath the the bridge. It's a little bit it's a little bit further down, um, and it should be the same distance in from the edge of the f hole as the bass bar, which is on the other side of the of the instrument. Um, it, I don't I don't know if you're. It's like this long, basically yeah. some tension in in this this long piece of wood kind of adds resonance like a like a drum. Yeah. Um, well, um, so have you? Uh, upon doing repairs and things like what happens when the base bar is let's say not big enough or i don't know if you've ever come across a violin that doesn't have a base bar well, so what is what do you find its function i, I could say what what truly paid my rent for the, the past decade i became very good at replacing base bars that, that i would i would do this all the time i i got you know i i remember the early days thinking this is so hard you, you know you have to chalk it and get it to fit perfectly it's mm-hmm. is this is one of those jobs where I, I did it you know I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times um, if not thousands at this point and um, there it's it's all there are so many factors to to bear in mind you know there it's I feel the flex of the top how how soft is it you know how 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 much flex is there on the top I I think that that relates in some ways to how much tension should be in the base bar um, there's this whole there's a whole, there's a whole art form, and I'm I'm taking notes on these things every time I finish it, just to test theories and see what what works better than than other than other um, methods. But but yes, it's some some old old violins, it's pretty wild. You look inside, and the bass bars have been basically the the bass bars are the same piece of wood as the top. They just cut everything else away and leave mm. leave that that this kind of like ridge of wood in there. And that, that does not work obviously. Cause there's no, there's no tension there. There's no, there's nothing you can really do to control 
sound that way. They're just kind of rough right. cut left in there. Um, I, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that worked at some point in the 1800s or something. I don't know, but it, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me now. Um, to me, it's like, I think there are some schools of thought. I, I don't, this, this might all be too, you know, inside baseball and boring, but some, some no, people never. think like, yeah, some people think there should be a lot of tension in a base bar, kind of like, you know, rocking back and forth. You kind of like crank it into place. Um, I've done a lot of experiments with less tension. Um, I think that, that also, that ultimately like I've had more success doing that a little bit less tension in the base bar. So, um, you, so you're actually conforming it to the shape of the top and gluing it in place so that there is tension that the base bar is putting on the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like cranking up. You can hold the base bar at the end and tap the, the top of the instrument, um, and, and hear it ring out like a, like a drum basically. Wow. Um, so it's a kind of a combination of that plus the sound post that that gives it that kind of you know gives it its its sound in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, well, I I come at it from a perspective of like working backwards from a a, a flat top steel string acoustic guitar. Uh-huh, right. Um, so you know I have an interest in arch tops. I, I I've never really built a traditional arch top, but. Um, you know they're they're kind of similar at least in design and shape and um, uh, aesthetics as a violin. Right. However, there's no there's no sound post, um, and and the two instruments are doing something functionally different. So with the violin, as you're scraping your bow, you're basically twisting the strings, and they're slowly um, untwisting while making the sound. Am, mm-hmm. I, am I correct in that? Yeah, I guess there's like some some, you know, the the bow with the rosin on there, kind of yeah, just some force on the string. This yeah, it's it's yeah, very so, yeah, right. So so you've got and then the 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 body of the violin with the sound post in your treble side and the bass bar in the bass side, it's almost like um, it's almost like a lever, right? In compared to say a flat stop, well, flat top steel string where you're strumming these strings and everything's just kind of floating right out there in space versus this controlled thing of the bow. You know, there's no sustain with a violin, right? It's all right. about how good you can keep the, how, how uh, effortlessly you can move to the next bow stroke, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so they're doing very different things. I think just in terms of, tonality and and uh what's going on in there yes is basically just the the base the base bar and the sound post and then then it's just really precise measurements the the flex of the of the top and the back um basically just just resonating with you know with all those other pressure points going on in there um it's to me it's just it's basically just finding the right flex in the wood i think that's a that's to me the the biggest thing about about what's going on in there sound wise and how how to how you can really control it you know re-graduating an instrument you know a lot of if if there's an instrument that just sounds horrible um it's usually the bass bar and it's way too thick the wood's way too thick it's it's just you know vibrations resonance it's not it's not working right it's shutting down Um, the top it's just shutting down the top I think the top, I think at the top is like kind of the, the skin of the, 
drum or something. You know, that's the, the, the back is maple, so it's rigid and the, the sides are maple, more rigid, but, but the top is what, what should, you know, what should, it, it could be, it, it, I don't know about, how, how thick are the tops of, uh, you know, let's say an acoustic guitar top. So an acoustic top, um, at, at its thickest, um, it might be an eighth of an inch. So okay. like 0.125 at its thinnest, um, um, like some high end finger style, um, steel string guitars might be might be 80 thousandths on the top so like okay, very very thin right you could you could damn near poke your finger through it yeah right i um, I, I see violins sometimes we, we do millimeters with the measurements but oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you, you dang, can see uh, yeah get your european stuff yeah, out of here man. exactly <laughs> <laughs> but you can see them down sometimes i mean shit this is too thin but you can see them at like 1.2 millimeters thick in certain parts of the of the top that's too thin that's that's one one that's point too thin. two what is it should be about um 2.5 and the and the 2.3 maybe um you're making small. me do conversions <laughs> yeah. on google oh yeah 1.2 is 47 thousandths so that's pretty dang yeah that's, that's too, too thin. thin that's too thin but so what's your target the target should be like maybe 2.3 in the in the thinnest area that's right. that's what i generally shoot for all right, two point two would be um, about eighty six, so that's pretty pretty thin. And uh, two point three is about ninety thou. So you're about the same top thickness as a, a as okay. an acoustic. I gotcha. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, what about the back? What kind of back thickness and and what what kind of um, percentage of tone would you say does the back impart upon the total? sound well so i the, to me the most important part, so, so it's just you know that this is a world if you go on like i'm sure you there are guitar forums you know you can you can wade in into that world and just see people's you know putting you know checking the these vibration you know with like little beads and all, all this kind of stuff and just but to me the main thing just from experience from doing this so many times it, the uh, kind of a, a death knell for a for an instrument that doesn't sound good is if the back in the middle of the back is too thin if that's too thin there's not you can't really add wood to it um and that that really has a negative effect on the sound if the the, the middle of the back ideally should be like 4.6 4.7 millimeters thick so so the thickest part of the whole body I see. um and the the upper and lower back um you know the, the lungs basically are all thin kind of like the top 2.5 yeah um but yeah we've we've done some tricks in the past you can I, this this has worked with with varying levels of success but if if a, the middle of a back is just way too thin which does happen we've added um like little pieces of lead i, I guess golfers use it I, I don't know much about about what golfers do to their clubs but i guess there there are these little pieces of lead that i guess people add to their drivers or something huh. Um, but we've added, it's just kind of like mass. You just add mass to the middle of the back to kind of make up for the, you know, the extra thin. And that, that has worked. That has worked. I, you know, it's not, not ideal. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the, the, again, it's, I'm, I'm also testing the flex on the back If the back, the back is actually rarely off alone. I find just, it's harder to get off and, and, um, 
you know, it's, it's only if really in rare repairs or if I'm working on my own instrument, but I will feel the flex of a back in the same way I do the top. Um, and I think that, I think basically overall, like flexibility is a good thing in, in wood, even though it's obviously a different, to a different extent being yeah. maple and all that. But, um, that's what I tried on my violin, which I'm curious about, like just seeing, I, I'm curious to get it back and see how it, you know, how it's, how it's aged, I guess. But that, mm. that piece of maple with all its weird flames and all that, that stuff was, was very, very flexible, like very flexible. Oh, nice. So I, I kind of thought, that might be a good thing. I think that's probably a good thing. And it, and it did sound good um, when we first strung it up. So curious to see how it, how it's changed um, yeah. over the past few months. We shall see. Yeah. You know, it's there, there are, there are, you know, like I said, rules and things to be followed. There are scientific um, truths in, in, in all this stuff, but it's, and, and maybe this is like, you know, crazy for me to say, but there, there is still mystery there. You know, some instruments can be, I, I take apart instruments all the time that, that should be sounding good and they're not. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's kind of the, it, it, it's what makes it exciting and fun, I guess, just trying to figure out why, why that can be. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, there, it's, there are so many little, little pieces, you know, so many, so many things in play. Um, I find it, you know, some people will say, you know, what's the, what's the, uh, weight of the top, um, without the base bar in it. And I'll say, well, how could that matter? Because my top is slightly, it's, it's a different shape, you know, but the, the thickness of the edges could be different, which is going to completely throw off any, yeah. you know, any way of actually knowing these things, you know, I, so it, it kind of, they're all, they're all different. And I, I do like that. You know, I, I think I, I, I like that idea more than thinking that there's some like ultimate truth. If you just basically turn yourself into like a 3d printer or something, it just kind of, right. You know, I, I like, I like that. I like thinking that at least. Yeah, I do too. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of um, scientific approaches that I see in, in guitar building as well. And it's funny how, like, even when these scientific ideas become, um, quote unquote, mainstream, at least mainstream among uh, the nerds like us that are into this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll see hobbyists utilize the scientific methods and they still make a bad sounding instrument. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, well, you know, you can have all the science at your disposal, but there's still like this instinct part. Yeah. When it yeah. comes to making, uh, at least with acoustic instruments, it really yeah. comes through. Oh yeah, it's I like, mean, or you just you know you look at the final product of yeah. If I see it, some something like you know get too down the the rabbit hole on a forum and you see the instrument that they ultimately made, you know, it's like it's just horrible. It's hideous. Maybe all the, you know, I mean, all of the measurements are always right on on all of my instruments, of course. But you know, I'm not doing the necessarily like the the wood sound tests and, and this and the this and that and it's right neither you know, do i yeah i mean i don't know i i i think that you know i all the different electric guitars i have that that are you know basically just plugged in i'm not even like a pickup uh connoisseur or anything i don't care but but i i find their magic in in all the different guitars i have they're all different you know if, if i yeah. get a different les paul it's not it's not mine so i you know i don't know I like the superstition of it, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. 
And, and man, people get superstitious too. Like the, uh, I remember the guitarist from Tool. He only liked uh, silver burst Les Pauls. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah, like like the silver is really coming through. Right. You know, the amp. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like well, exactly. yeah. That that's partly instinct too. Is like, what do you feel good picking up? Yeah, exactly. I, I've never, you know, we on with with this band Yellowwise, we don't we don't even use guitar pedals. So, and if we're flying out to a festival or something, obviously we don't have our own amps. They always say, you know, what what amp do you need? Just like literally any amp, <laughs> any amp that can make any distortion is totally fine. Um, so I'm, I'm not, you know, we're not not the pickiest in terms of that. I think there are. I guess we're getting off off the violin topic now, but. But oh, no, in, no. in that world, around. you know, in that in that world, to me, it's it's like the notes matter it, more than the than the tone matters or or whatever, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that. Well, yeah. And it's like, too, especially with electric guitars, it's like, well, I'm worried about I'm worried this is going to be too bright. And it's like, well, turn the treble down. <laughs> right. There's always there's always I mean, I will say in terms of the sound, we're, we're the least picky band ever. But the thing that drives me totally nuts is uh playing shows in in some european countries where they i think it's like europeans really believe in like super low stage like the the amps should be like at level one or like 0.5 or something they just turn them way down and then they mic them and they crank it way up in the in the in the room and we're always just like that's insane you can't do that because it it you know there's no there's no feedback if if we're not if you know if you're not using pedals it's like yeah you're killing the the whole sound that's that stuff drives us nuts we're like you know they do these decibel readings in in some places like switzerland where you can't go above a certain decibel because it's you know, bad for your health but our drummer one hit on a snare a normal hit is off the decibel chart so oh, they're like you know it's like what what do you want us to do here that's just uh this is not going to work, you know? So yeah, that stuff drives me nuts. That's the only sound related thing. It's like, come on, it's gotta be loud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was always of the opinion that you need to bring your full stack to the bar show. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Depending on the bar, I would definitely do that. But um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's pretty nice to tour without, I think we've only brought our own amps on tour like twice or something. It's like, it's pretty nice yeah. to not, to not have to, deal with it well it is a pain in the ass dragging it to the bar so i can't imagine oh, yeah. dragging uh a, an entire thing across the country or well usually we're still dragging somebody else's in and out of the bar it's just it's just not mine yeah yeah <laughs> let them set it up like how, how does this thing sound good okay cool exactly <laughs> so what what is your amp of choice given the option well i i play out of a 5150 um full full stack but block letter yeah. Yes. Yes. Good man. Yes. It, but if if that went away tomorrow, I, to be completely honest, I don't even think I'd notice. I I don't play out of it that often. It's usually just for shows because it's too loud to rehearse with. Mm-hmm. Um. So it, it's just like kind of the the few times I I I use it is when we're at a show. It's like okay, so how, how's this thing sound again? I I guess we record with it, and I'm I'm psyched about the way it it records, but. If something, you know, I think on might have been our last record, basically every single thing we had got stolen. Um, it Ooh. right right before we started recording, and uh, 
and we were just kind of like you know bummed out and we ended up tracking down the guy who stole it and that was cool we got the amps back but oh good it was it was it was a total victory but um yeah aside from being totally bummed out and we're you know not not being rich people who can just change these things easily um it was kind of no big deal to just buy like cheap little amps and be like yeah we'll just make this work it's all good you know whatever yeah. and it sounded fine it, it always sounds fine i find at least for again for this kind of music not for every kind of music but for this sure, kind of music sure. it does. yeah i find that uh yeah uh, especially when i go to record something i can have it sound so good in the room like exactly what i want it to sound like and as soon as i put a mic in front of it it sounds a tenth of what i wished it did yeah in yeah. the recording anyway, so I, I, I could see that. I, I hear you. So I'm I'm psyched right now. Once I pick the uh the guitar back up after after that, that long hiatus during the pandemic, I uh I got this this little like keyboard thing. I've never never really played the keyboard before. I'm it, it's sitting right in front of me right now. Um uh-huh. it's just you know, don't even know anything about about this stuff, but I, I just started having a really good time on it. It's like, whoa, this is awesome. So I just started making a bunch of, uh, you know, music without, with you know, different, not not necessarily metal. I mean, I think I'm I'm kind of a one trick pony when it comes to, to music making. It's like, yeah, they're basically metal riffs, but it's over maybe a, you know slightly different thing. Are you um, singing with it as well? Well, I'm trying to figure that out. So I, I, in this little town that I live in now, it's called Beacon, New York nice little town like about an hour and a half north of the city but my brother moved here after i did and then uh, another friend of ours from the city moved up here who's a producer so suddenly i'm i'm working on this new stuff and i have these two guys who like know all the all the stuff that i don't know you know they have all the mics they have all the all the plugins and all the gear that i don't have and it's this is kind of a, a new thing for me to to turn over that side of the process to other people, you know, who's yeah. not, not just my brother, you know, usually when my brother's produ- producing the yellow eyes records, I'm sitting next to him the whole time. Um, but this is cool to be working with like, you know, the circle has grown a little bit and um, just seeing, you know, it's a challenge uh, 10 years in basically doing everything myself or with, with my brother to, to let, you know, let more perspective in, but it, it's, it's been wonderful to not have to, you know, to, to see the way other people work and, and let in new, fresh ideas and, and even just be pursuing a type of music that's not necessarily black metal. Yeah, uh, so so what is it what does it sound like? Are you singing like something that would sound good in a uh like a coffee shop gig or, or is uh, this no. still like heavy? <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still pretty heavy. I it's there's this um there's this Russian band that I think is like the coolest band ever called Kino, K I N O. It's like Okay very incredible um so i it it doesn't sound like that i guess but uh that that's like an inspiration i, I like you know i got into some bands like um let's see i don't like drab majesty is this band they're kind of like you know synthy kind of gothy it, it, adjacent to the metal world but not really um um okay. but I, I don't know i mean i'm into catchy you know the, the trick with all the the you know obscure dark black metal yellow eye stuff is it's really just catchy it, it's catchy music played you know with a different filter over the front of it I, i've always sure. been been drawn to uh melody maybe more than than uh that music might let on 
but um yeah but yeah it's just my my attempt at kind of embracing embracing uh wild melodies and and um but yeah there's still like i i have my my friend up here he just we were doing it last night um having him try out some vocals and it it always kind of ends up being either yelled or spoken so it's yeah it's it's as always not for everybody sure <laughs> but, uh, sure but I'm into it. I'm I'm just into doing something different. It's kind of it's kind of fun. Just well, that's awesome. What would you call uh, the genre? Oh, it's got to be. It's what would you know? It <laughs> this is this is the same problem that Yellow has, has experienced basically our entire our entire run as a band. It's like it's a black metal band, but um, you know, people just can't quite let it just be that they're like, but it's something else, you know, it's something uh-huh. else. So is it like, is it, it's Cynthia, what would it be? It's not, it's not like new wave. It's not, it's, it's, you know, I, I'll have to send it to you when, um, when I got a demo in place, Yeah, please. Do. but it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it just because like, I'm like, Oh man, this is actually kind of like, you can like tap your toe to this. It's not, it, it and it, it is aggressive, but it's not, um, it's not metal. So what, what an exciting thing. <laughs> so are you thinking you're going to put out a recording or are you oh, yeah. having oh, fun? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, at this point, I, as I find myself, you know, pushing 40 and, uh, understanding how much time this stuff takes. I mean, in getting in, in, coming back to music after the pandemic, I you know, keep talking about obsessive tendencies, but like I, if I, if I get to that gear, if I'm like, all right, I'm not working on the house right now. I'm not working on, you know, I'm working on music right now. I will, you know, go to work all day, but then all night, every day for months and months and months, I can just, you know, crank it <laughs> and like, all the time, all the time, like just putting in the hours on the, on this project. So I just find like, after you, you you do the math, it's like I've I've sacrificed you know so many nights with my wife with you know doing other fun things that I could do in this life to uh, pursue whatever this project is I, along with like all the other musical projects I have. But I would be lying if I didn't say you know yeah yes I it is for fun it's always for fun. But I sure. to me the the main challenge in in this you know in the game of of uh you know working on a record is is that is finishing it calling it done that is like the hardest thing it'd be so easy if i could just hit delete at the end of it and be like that was cool that was that was fun oh that wouldn't be easy that That wouldn't be easy that's not the right that does sound hard but it but it's also very hard to to call something done and be like yep here here it is you know this is what i this is what i I, is this going to be a yellow eyes recording or something else no something else this is something else so i've also during the pandemic, I've, I, I have a solo uh, black metal project also. I, I finished that record during the pandemic. That that had been kind of ongoing for, for years. Um, that, that's being released um, this year, it, soon, probably in the next like month or two. Um, on the same people need to stay tuned for that? Oh, it's uh, Gilead Media is the label that puts out Yellow Eyes. They put out this project, too. It's called Ustalist, which is a Russian word for fatigue. Um, which is basically the way I feel when I work on on these things, but it's, it's just funny. Yeah. Just calling even something like that done, you know, it, it, I've been doing it. it, It's, you know, starts and stops over, over the years. I I usually for the solo project, it's actually like a a trick of mine. I, 
I convince myself I'm writing for the solo project, then I'm mentally free. I have no, none of the chains that bind me from, you know, yellow eyes or any, any other work. I'm, I'm free. I'm mentally free. So I work and work and work, have a big well of riffs. And then we start working on a yellow eyes record. And I'm like, I have this huge well, well of riffs that are, you know, would progress our sound in yellow eyes. And I steal them all. I just turn it into a yellow eyes record. I've been doing yeah, that, do that all the time. So you know, I'm basically just replenishing this well. And I finally got this record done, but it's just, you know, kind of limping to the finish line with it, you know, beaten. Tell me, tell me more about the, the mindset you've got to put yourself in to um, get creative. Cause like a lot of people have writer's block or they, they're just like, they have a hard time creating sometimes, but like when you, when you've done it as long as you have, you know, there's a little ways, like you were saying, to trick yourself. I have a lot of tricks. I have a lot of little tricks. I mean, tell me your tricks. So one, one very simple trick that, that, uh, I'm sure plenty of people do this, but I just, I turn on a, a red light or a different color light, turn off all the other lights, change your environment. I always just like change it up. That's why a lot of times we're writing in a little cabin in, in the woods, which is so hard because you have to load your computer and all your stuff and drive two hours away. Um, it, it, we, we use this, this cabin of this, this old writer who, you know, isn't currently using this cabin. There's no plumbing, there's no nothing, but we just kind of hole up in there and just change, change your environment. So, you know, I'm, every time we go up there, I'm bringing like, you know, a string of red Christmas lights or like something, make it look red. different. I Lots always go for red. red. I go for red for <laughs> yellow eyes. I, I find that helps me. So even if I'm coming home from like a long day of work and I, I sit down at my computer and it's like, all right, I have to do this, you know, I'm tired. Don't want to, I just turn on like a, you know, turn on a different color light. I'm like, I've set the, I've set the, the I've changed the atmosphere in my room. Like I feel, I feel more open to it. Really? Um, yeah. I've never tried that. Yeah. It, it works for me. Okay. And another thing is, yeah, I, I, try to convince myself I'm, I'm working on for, for a different project. I do that all the time. Like this is not for anything. This is for, um, for fun. You know, just, I, I turn all distortion off. I I'm like, all right, let's, uh, you know, crank up the reverb on a clean guitar. Be like, you know, now you know, recontextualize your, you know, what you're hearing. Just be like, this is not, you can't rely on distortion. You can't rely on anything. It's just like, I, I switch guitars sometimes. I have like a few guitars that I don't usually play. And I'll be like, you have to play on this one today. Um, an another trick I've been doing is now that I got this keyboard, it's actually worked for some metal, um, some metal ideas. It's like lay down a few keyboard chords just here, here or there. I'm not even a piano player at all. I just like, you know, just put together like, you know, two, two or three note chord and just, just hold it, drone it out or whatever. And then, use that as as the basis for you know then i'll pick, pick up a guitar and start writing around around that and then you just hit mute on the keyboard and you might be left with like a cool nugget um okay. sometimes I, I take out the drum machine start with like you know a you know a, a drum a drum beat that maybe is not even remotely um in the genre or, or whatever just on on a tempo basically just using it as a as a metronome but just changing the changing the environment in any way possible to just like in, in that search of search for freedom. It's like, it, it is hard. I mean, the other thing I, I've been, I have been doing this for a long time, but it's always shocking to me. You know, I, I poured, like I was saying, like hundreds of hours into this, this uh, synth stuff. 
at the end I'm like banging my head against the wall. I'm like, you know, I, it's all, it all sounds the same and this and that. And you know, what, what am I even doing? But the, the second I get anybody else involved and I just see them sitting there recontextualizing just a couple little things. I'm like, Oh yeah, there, there's like more than a whole record here. Yeah. So I'm, like, as soon as I sit down with uh, some other people and, and, you know, even just watch them hearing it through their own ears, I'm like, oh yeah, like I just, I just, I find maybe this might just be a unique problem, but I get, I can just get, you know, I can lose perspective. I, I can write riffs all day long. That's, that's not usually the problem, but I, but I can lose perspective. Why, you know, why are they important? Where are they supposed to go? What's the, what's the bigger picture here? I can, I can lose, I lose that sometimes. So in those moments, I either have to, you know, work really hard alone to try to figure it out or better yet collaborate with somebody you know my, my brother is usually the one i go to but in this case you know expanded out even more and uh just just i always forget that it's like it's okay it's gonna be fine yeah so that's interesting that just like yeah changing your environment uh putting limitations up like like i have to play on this guitar today it's like well it's got single coil pickups well screw it that's what i'm playing on or or playing clean only yeah because you'll you'll play differently because you always react to what's coming out you know right if you got a a a shitload of um um, distortion on it um i'm gonna play my riffs differently exactly Um, i mean that yeah i've learned that that is probably the one area that i mean i have many areas that need work that that's a big one that needs work is is spending I spend zero time on the making anything sound good before I start playing you know, in, in a demo situation, zero time. So I'll just, whatever it is, I just go. It's like, it's more structured than. Content. Yeah. So if, if I just think if the notes are right, then we're going to be good. It doesn't matter. But the, that, that trips me up later on where it's like, you know, I, I'm passing over things that are totally fine just because I can't hear them being fine in the way that I'm, um, you know, hearing the playback. So I, I could, I could stand to spend like, you know, two seconds thinking about it and just, just making it sound, you know, ex- acceptable in some way. So I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm working on that. What about, what about vocals? Like what's your, what's your process like for writing? Vocals? I, 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 it's my least favorite part it's especially in the you know for people who don't know black metal stuff is is ex- extreme kind of like screaming and i i did it only out of necessity just there was you know there's no one else to do it um my brother writes the lyrics he's incredibly good at it um be- better than better than me so it's like why not let the you know let let the best man do that job um, i find with lots of um at least metal if it's screamed vocals you can kind of get away with um a lot looser structure you're not like having the one line rhyme with the next line necessarily no so so we don't even place them until we're you know basically it's the last step and uh you know the whole album will be recorded we we won't know where the vocals are going until the until the very end but yeah it's it's a horrible process I, i i have to get completely in the in the zone um which is usually like alone in a in in a in the woods for like a couple of days, lots of whiskey, you know, shirt off, just like sketchy, weird, um, no fun. You know, it ruins my my life for like a week after because I can't talk and 
it's it's horrible it's horrible i've even like you know remote remote cabin in the woods we've had um concerned people you know pulling up you know through the through the fog saying you know they hear somebody being uh you know, is is everybody okay here? And that that has happened. It's like, are you murdering people in the world? Yeah, it's yeah. totally embarrassing. It's horrible. But there's no, there's like literally no other way for me to do it. So it it's there's no there's no faking it. It's all it's all real. It does it it's uncomfortable and I and I hate it and I dread it. But but weirdly, in kind of um, sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean, in a way, but it but it does it it takes more and more out of me the older I get, and yeah. the you know, on, on tour, I will say there's something, I guess, you know, pretty freeing about just being able to scream and, you know, in the faces of a, of a bunch of, you know, people, but, um, but I also find weirdly our, our guitar parts are, are pretty complex and it actually makes playing the guitar easier for me in some, in some weird way. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not relying more on muscle memory or something like that. And just, and just yeah. kind of, I, I, I can't quite explain it, but um, yeah, to play guitar and sing at the same time is kind of a, it's a different mode. It's a different mode, but that's that's why in this new project I'm doing now, kind of my only thought was I don't want to do the vocals. I I just I wouldn't it be nice to play a show that's like you know where the guitar parts aren't like insanely hard to play and I don't have to like think about all these words. <laughs> it would be wonderful. So that's that's what I'm shooting for with the with the new stuff. How is it? Uh... It, it must be satisfying being able to um, tour and make a living and make art with your brother. It's, it, it's very satisfying. I mean, he's, we're, we're a good, we're a good team just because, you know, he can tell me something sucks and, uh, and that that's okay. You know, we've, we've been down that road many times as, you know, as siblings and yeah. many other ways. Um, and we're, you know, yeah, we're, 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 both, uh, you know, he, he allows this whole thing to, you know, we, we both have different, different roles, but like he, he helps it be DIY and say, you know, I'm shipping all the, all the shirts and stuff, but he's got pro tool or, um, Photoshop open and he's, you know, helping design the, the art. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's definitely like a, a tag team where we, we both have different jobs, but I, I couldn't do it without him truly. That's um, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's been good. Well, uh, do you have a website for your violins, Will? We have uh, com, which uh, you know has, needs to be updated, but um, but it does exist. They could any, anybody could go there. And your band is at yellowwise.com? Uh, yellowwise.bandcamp.com. We don't, you know, in, in true obscure black metal fashion, we do not have a website, and it was uh, yeah. only recently that we got an Instagram, just because it's like. I guess we have to announce shows somewhere. (laughs) Um, So I have two final questions. My, uh, my, uh, I'm going to end every podcast with two questions. The first being, what do you wish luthiers would stop doing? Oh man. (laughs) Maybe copying other people, you know, do do your own thing, whatever that is, even if it's a subtle, small thing that that only you know. But but don't, uh, yeah, try to try to do your own thing. And what do you wish luthiers would do more of? Hmm. 
That's a good question. And this could be violins or guitar luthiers, yeah. Right. Um Well, I guess I love that I love when there's like a, a small but solid um you know I, I guess I'll talk about guitars in this case, like a, a guitar company that, that kind of fits into a, a musical scene. I know I know in the, I think we talked about this a little bit. But in the metal world, when when you know we're all we're all hustling in in you know not massively famous bands or whatever, and I love when there's somebody who respects you know the, the smaller bands and kind of will uh, will kind of you know supply some of the smaller smaller people with guitars that are made for that smaller more niche thing that they're working on, like Dunable guitars or whatever. Um, yeah one of which I do not have, but, um, but I, I still, I respect it. I, I respect that they're, you know, I, I love the, the, the niche, the niche worlds getting, getting some love. It, it's kind of like finding all these, you know, the, the, uh, micro genres of music, you know, you're going down a rabbit hole and it's just like, how is this a, how is this a thing? You know, I, and I love that it is, I love that there are people doing this, but that was like meeting you in, in Tulsa and seeing the guitars you, you're making. It's like, I haven't seen people do an inlay like that and I'm sure people do or whatever you, you would know that world better than me, but, but I loved that That was something that you were doing. And, you know, I, I loved just seeing something that was, you know, for, for, uh, you know, for, for people that is, you know, it's not, it's not made to be for like, literally, you're, you know, you're not trying to be a, a squire or something like that fender. Sure. And I, I don't know, it's probably the worst answer to that question, but. But maybe no, if it's you a can good answer. Read and, through and my. <laughs> that's back to uh, uh, whether like high output, high output versus low output. That's right. also like uh, mass appeal versus uh, no appeal. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Like some, it's like uh, yeah. But uh, it turns yeah, out, you know, in in my life, turns out making things that you would think have no appeal has has been the one most rewarding thing in my entire life. So so, you know, let's keep doing that. <laughs> I think that's a great lesson for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking with me, man. Well, thank you for talking to me. So, uh, yeah, like I said, my first podcast. So how about that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm glad to uh, have been uh, your first one. And uh, it come out to Tulsa soon. Or I'll tell you what, if you play in Austin or something, I might have to go, come we, see you. We, we will. We will. Currently booked in Austin, uh, I think, April of next year. Uh, a big metal mm. festival down there. Um, fingers crossed that we figure all this pandemic I, shit out. I know my my fingers hovering over the uh, you know buy flight, <laughs> buy purchase flight button on my computer because I'm like I how do I know that a show in November is going to go through? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, I might want to wait last minute on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they're they're so cheap right now though. <laughs> um, but yes, who knows? Who knows? But I do hope to see you sometime soon. Yeah, man. Well, the, thanks again. The the other thing that the audience can know is that we weirdly look like we're from the same family. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, we went to a bar and uh, I had to. My little joke was I told everyone that we were brothers. Yeah, my my brother I think came across your uh, your website and he was just like, I had to do a double take. I was like, is that is that Will on there? <laughs> <laughs> just a weird non sequitur there, but uh, but yeah, we're, yeah we're, you know, just just tall Scandinavian descent. That's it. Red beards, yeah, <laughs> pretty funny. So yeah, we hit we hit it off pretty quick. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's the that's the only requirement I have for friendship. You got to look just like me. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, 
That's you know, why I have so few friends. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I guess we've got to move to Tulsa. I guess so. You have to now. Well, it's, uh, yeah, been great talking to you, man. All right, you too, buddy. See you, see you soon.